How mild, how mild, how mild can a cigarette be? Makes a camel 30-day test, and you'll see. So mild, so mild, so mild that you're bound to agree. That camel suits you to a T, to a T. Smoke camels and cheap. Welcome back to Deep in Bear Country, a Berenstain Bearcast. I'm your host, Phil Gonzalez, and I've got a story to tell. Really quick, come with me down memory lane. I want to take you to a little time known as the 1980s. I want to take you to a little boy named Philip Corey Gonzalez, who was a child of the 80s, started going to kindergarten in 1981, and was finishing up or entering or finishing junior high in 1989. Uh, this book covers a topic that is very close to my heart. When I was growing up, there were two figures who were very important to me, who sort of formed my uh, the way I saw the world, that told me who I could be when I grew up, who I could aspire to be, like what, what potential lied ahead. And those two figures were uh, a couple of gentlemen named Spuds McKenzie and Joseph Joe Camel. Now, for those of you who don't know who they are, Spuds McKenzie was a dog who was the mascot for Bud Light Beer in the 1980s, and Joseph Camel was a camel who was the mascot for a brand of cigarettes called Camel Cigarettes, and he was their mascot from the late 70s through the late 90s. And Growing up, I knew that these characters were cartoons, that they were made up, and that they were selling beer and cigarettes. And they told me in no uncertain terms that there was nothing cooler than smoking a pack of cigarettes, popping a cold Bud Light, and being surrounded by the coolest people in existence. These guys wore sunglasses. They wore leather jackets. They were surrounded by bodacious babes. And they told me as a young, impressionable kid, that I could be cool and wear sunglasses and leather jackets and be surrounded by bodacious babes. And as the 90s ended, so too did the reign of Spuds McKenzie and Joe Camel. And they sort of went and faded back into the ephemera of history to be forgotten seemingly forever and with only the detritus of, of their pop culture sort of scattered about. Little did I know that one day I would be forced to think again about these misbegotten mascots of my youth. And little did I know that I would be forced to think about them because of a podcast I do called Deep in Bear Country, a Berenstain Bearcast, and that this week's book is 1997's, and make no mistake, there is a reason it takes place, and is set and published in 1997, The Berenstain Bear Scouts and the Sinister Smoke Ring. And who better to talk about the ephemera of pop culture, the me deeper meanings of pop culture, then one of the contributors to the website Birth Movies Death. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Justin Harrison. Welcome, Justin. Thanks for having me, Phil. Thanks for joining me and getting ready to talk about uh, this book, which you seem very excited to discuss. I am excited to discuss it in large part because my reaction to it was not my reaction to the Berenstein Bears as a, that I had as a child. And what was your reaction to them as a child? Well, growing up, my experience with the Bears was very, very piecemeal. I asked my mom about this yesterday, and her response was, I hated the Berenstein Bears. <laughs> I had a viscerally negative reaction to the Berenstein Bears. And because she was usually the one who chose what she and I would read together, I didn't experience the early reading books or the, for lack of a better term, primary line Berenstein Bear books very heavily. Yeah. But in elementary school, my, my library had what must have been a near-complete collection of the big chapter books, and I certainly remember reading a few of those and finding them very exciting because brother, sister, and their friends had a degree of independence and adventure in their lives that was, if not alien to a six-year-old in 1997, certainly seemed more adult and more exciting. And 
as I said to you, the attempted murders probably helped with that quite a lot. <laughs> um, really, as I look back on it, a lot of my experience with the bears seems to have been inflated in my memory into being things that it the books were not. I don't know how accurate it is to say that I remember the cubs being distraught because they were almost certain Ralph had been murdered by the mob. Oh yeah, that definitely happened. And at some point I must have seen part of the 1985 cartoon and somehow <laughs> the theme song for that thing became this nightmarish war chant where it was just <laughs> the animation would have been you know well to quote the actual theme song bears galore marching in lockstep and yelling more and more bears more and more bears <laughs> as though or something out of belladonna of sadness which is about as far <laughs> from the berenstein bears as you can get and a, but you weren't even but you weren't even around for the original run of the 1985 show. No, I wasn't. I was born in 1991. Wow. So I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking the videotape must have come from Blockbuster. Yeah. That was where I had some degree of choice in what we watched. And I suppose one evening I really wanted to see this episode of the Berenstein Bears, which led to that strange inflated memory years later. It, it, what's funny is so you your your primary introduction and experience with the bears the bears in general the bear family the bear characters was from what is in this, in essence like the most extreme exaggerated but also developed versions of these characters yeah the ultimate universe berenstein bears exactly uh, we're operating also on two separate timelines here uh, because the chapter books, as I've noted in the past, are are clearly set in two s distinct universes: the the big chapter book universe and the and the Berenstain Bear Scouts universe. The the Bear Scouts tend to be based on those 1985 episodes, but not this book. Yeah, I, I would be very surprised if this was based on that book, both because of the omnipresence of. Um, mascots designed to seduce kids into taking dangerous su dangerous substances in the 80s yeah and largely because this feels like a book from the late 90s in so many ways particularly with regards to technology yeah which we'll get into well, um, I have a I have a little background here. I uh, I talked to Mike Berenstain uh, about this book. Hmm. Uh, he sent me a response today about it, actually, because I was like, "What is up? What is up with the Sinister Smoke Ring?" Now, first of all, each edition there are several different editions of this book. We have the Flora edition, you and I. Right, right. It was it was uh, given individual editions in several states, including Florida, which is the ones that we ended up with. Yep. Uh, the story is the same in each one, but. Uh, the Florida edition begins with a letter from the governor of Florida yep, and the commissioner of education and uh, ends with a whole bunch of like a quiz about Florida. Yeah, there is a quiz. About, it is a quiz about Florida, a quiz about smoking. The two topics don't really have very much to do with each other. Right. Um, and then it follows up with a recommendation for books about smoking and mm -hmm. books about Florida several of which seem a good deal more well age appropriate isn't quite the right word but certainly a good deal more pleasant to read yeah <laughs> this is this is an actively upsetting book in multiple places well mike said that uh he says that the book was, of course, inspired by the Joe Camel controversy. And that was, uh, for those of you listeners who don't know, Joe Camel was, of course, a like I said in the beginning, he was a cartoon camel that advertised camel cigarettes. And he it, it was and it was in uh, the late 90s that uh, that it was brought to to Congress, basically, that uh, they put pressure on uh, the R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company, uh, basically saying, like, this camel is selling cigarettes to children. Like, there's no two ways about it. And, of course, R.J. Reynolds was like, no, 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 no. You, you can't prove that. We can't help it if kids think that this camel is cool. But eventually, a memo was found in, from 1974 that basically said, we got to advertise to kids. We got to rope them in when they're children, uh, ages 14 to 24. We got to start them. We got to get them right then. And uh, what ended up happening was the whole thing fell apart. There was a settlement. And Mike says that... Uh, Part of the court settlement included funding of state anti-smoking education programs, and that was in 1997, the year of the book's publication. Uh, he says he does know that this money 
uh, funded the individual state editions of this book. And that's why he, and so he suspects that Scholastic, knowing that such funding was in the works, suggested uh, the theme of this to Stanage and Berenstain, uh, and that they pro he said he's sure that his parents jumped at the opportunity to do an anti-smoking book because, quote, they loathed smoking. That comes across quite clearly in this. <laughs> in many different ways. Oh, yeah. So why don't you give us a rundown of, if you can, of what this book is about. This book is about corporate malfeasance and the fact that if you smoke one cigarette, you're not only going to put your life in mortal peril, you have essentially condemned your soul to an eternity of torment. Yeah. <laughs> um, and who are our, who are, where does our, the temptation to smoke come from in this book? There, there are several people who would like to seduce children into the ways of smoking. In terms of the actual children themselves, the, the nefarious Tutal gang, mm -hmm. who are not only general miscreants but actively criminal in this like, oh yeah like they, they could face charges as adults for some of the stuff they do it was established in uh the uh the no drugs the drug free zone that they were uh actually the peddlers of uh of narcotics happy pills i think they were called yeah so you know they i wouldn't put it past them to just to, to smoke a pack and brutally humiliate other children Oh, yeah. I, I mean, this is getting close to that one bully in Moonlight. Uh, <laughs> Too Tall Grizzly is going to get a chair broken over his head one day. And, right. And no one is going to mourn. <laughs> but moving on from Too Tall and his cronies, there is Ralph Ripoff, town con bear, who seems to waffle between lovable scamp and man who belongs in, in, in a maximum security prison for what he's yeah. done. And in this book finds ralph ripoff falling squarely in the evil camp not only a yes. like not just amoral but he is the embodiment of that memo you mentioned he is gonna sell cigarettes to these cubs and he is gonna do it with panache and mm -hmm. spectacle the likes of which bear country has never seen and the full force of a major tobacco company which he gets on his side with an incredibly mean one-page letter <laughs> Ralph read it aloud. Dear sirs, this is to inform you that I am prepared to save Moose Tobacco to turn it from a pitiful failure into a rip-roaring, money-making success. Just present yourselves at the Grizzly Arms Motel. There's an ellipsis, but that seems to be the entirety of the letter, and somehow this convinces the board of directors of a major tobacco company <laughs> to drop everything and go hear a pitch from a man who is known throughout town to be a shady criminal who is not to be trusted. Yep, this is a man who has uh, barely avoided murder at the hands of uh, his own uh, compatriots. This is a man who tried to swindle a hospital out of all of their money. Uh, this is a man who has been known to be in league with the, the, the weasels who live under bear country in an attempt to overthrow <laughs> the nation of bear country. And apparently he still has the mayor in his pocket. Yeah, they're good friends. They go way back. Which happens with another major authority figure, but we'll get to that. Really, what I've come to conclude is that the Bear Scouts universe is the evil universe. Everyone in this book is some kind of awful to each other at one point yeah. or another. <laughs> well, starting with uh, starting with poor brother. Oh, who goodness gets, me. Who, who, in the course of this book actually smokes a cigarette for which he is despised by his compatriots basically written off by them he is tormented by the town doctor who has an exhibit called i quote the horrors of smoking mm -hmm. which seems to be less scare him straight than more let's borrow every technique from from hot from a like high-end haunted house we can find <laughs> yep. he is Subjected to intense peer pressure by Too Tall with the, with the threat of physical violence should he not smoke. Right. And the fact that he also apparently has to commit at least one petty crime to be part of this gang. A lot happens to Brother in this book, but he's kind of a non-character in a lot of ways. Yeah, he's much more an object that the plot happens to rather than someone who affects the plot. Right. And... I know this has happened with a few of the Bear Scouts books. This is a really front-loaded book. You know, yeah. The... I would say the first three quarters of it are spent setting up what's going to happen. And then they rush through things so fast. There was actually a montage sequence. Yes. <laughs> 
just to cover all the logistical setup that has to get into place for the climax to happen. And then like three two-page chapters at the very end. Which feature bear cubs being carried away on stretchers and cybercrime. And a rap. Oh, yeah. yeah. The Return of the Two Tall Gang's glorious rap number. So this appeared in a previous book? Oh, yeah. So uh, the Two Tall Gang first rose to fame with their with their rap song about being the Two Tall Gang. Uh, I, I can't remember which one it was. I believe it was the one where they started their own television station. Hmm. It was a talent competition. They came out as rap stars. And this is the first we've heard of it in quite a while. And oh, goodness. I'm going to assume this is their new song because... The single they play throughout this book isn't about being the Two Tall Gang, it's about the Two Tall Gang coming through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, as things seem to ha as things happen often in this book, things escalate really quickly. Yeah. The song, I'll make way, this means you, the Two Tall Gang is coming through, so look out all you dreams and drips, we are the four bad bears of the apocalypse. Death, pestilence, war. And scuzz. <laughs> in a whoopee cap when death arrives it'll arrive in a whoopee cap yeah i'm not sure johnny cash is gonna sing a song about that so the uh the gist of this is that uh brother's being pressured to smoke by too tall because he wants to be cool like the gang and they want him around because he's good at basketball yep. which is quite a trade-off yeah they want him, they want him to join the gang because he's a good ball player and because he's courageous and loyal, which they know because he's repeatedly stood up to them and stopped them from harassing other cubs. Right. And and don't be don't get under any like false notion that Brother Bear could have a positive influence on the gang. Nope. It's all one way. They're they're just thoroughly rotten. Mm -hmm. And within a day of hanging out, like he's been hanging out with them for maybe two or three days by the time the book starts, and he is surly, he's angry, he's talking yeah. out of the side of his mouth. They, they say that several times. I really have to wonder what that's supposed to mean. It's such like, an unusual turn of phrase. All I can imagine is is he's kind of talking like a gangster. I suppose like, so. Mumbling and just kind of talking like this. Like, that's all I can imagine. Because Too Tall is, is your quintessential, like, 1930s street thug. He really is. Yeah. That was, in he's fact, one of the things that my mom reacted to so badly. She could not stand the fashion design of bear country especially mothers <laughs> oh, no. especially mother bears um perpetual night robe yes it's easy to draw yeah yeah it, it, it's it, iconic you have to be able to identify these characters instantly from a distance that's why ralph ripoff has the um 30 straw hat and the mm -hmm. bear cubs all have their early army uniforms the, 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 they are secure in their iconography by this point. And in fact, this is a book about iconography with the, I was gonna say, the astounding of creation of Mo Moose. Who, Tell me about Mo Moose. Well, I believe I described him to you in one of our Facebook chats as unexpectedly French New Wave. Well, that makes sense because Joe Camel started in france really he, he got he debuted in 1974 i believe in french advertisements which is why he had this kind of like foppish air about him he uh he was meant to appeal initially to like the french uh like sort of upper middle class to to, to show like he was cool he was suave in a 1970s french way that's really really interesting because when I think of Joe Camel, who I would have seen in newspaper advertisements and a few magazines, I think some of which were actually in my elementary school. Yeah. Um, the, the Joe Camel I'm familiar with had sunglasses and a leather jacket, kind of rocking yeah. the Schwarzenegger look. Um, yeah, like they, they, they definitely uh, changed his, his general feel as the 80s and 90s went on. But Mo Moose, Mo Moose has a beret. Mm -hmm. An orange smoking jacket, a purple turtleneck, and green Morpheus glasses. And he is now, always, always, always smoking. Here's an interesting bit of trivia from Mike. He says, you may notice the appearance of Mo Moose is a little different on the cover than in the interior. And he says, this was due to Scholastic's concern that the character in the book was too close in appearance to the real Joe Camel. They wanted it changed on the cover to avoid potential legal blowback from R.J. Reynolds. So they were afraid of getting sued for copying a character 
that the tobacco company got sued for having in the first place. How dare you use our disgraced mascot? <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. But it's true. Uh, camel cigarettes started out for like a hundred years or so, had just a camel uh, as their mascot standing mm -hmm. in, a, in like side profile. And then they switched to Joe Camel. And well, what does, uh, what does uh, Ralph Ripoff propose? That moose tobacco scrap its, pre its prior logo, which is a moose chewing on some grass, and in favor of Mo Moose. And not just replacing the replacing the moose tobacco moose on the on the cartons of cigarettes he wants mo moose everywhere mo moose everywhere yeah mo moose caps mo moose propeller beanies mo moose vests mo moose jackets mo moose bobblehead dolls we we see a mo moose figurine but i can't really tell if it's supposed to be a bobblehead or not it just certainly looks like one yeah it's like a like a desk paperweight or something yeah and he apparently convinces moose tobacco to feel the mass production of these things and essentially to take an entire to take a loss on them because he never mentions selling them it's strictly something you can get by either redeeming cartons of moose cigarettes or yeah. coming to this massive mo moose rock rally he throws speaking of speaking of redeeming packages of moose cigarettes uh that is also a direct reference to Joe Camel's Camel Bucks, oh boy. which were little dollars you would cut off packages of Camel cigarettes and could exchange for this merchandise. Did these predate box hops for education? <laughs> I think they probably went hand in hand. They were probably the same company. Well, RJR Nabisco, so yeah. It was, it was, uh, it was basically box tops for uh, awesome jackets. <laughs> And I do want to know, I want to play the Mo Moose game desperately. I really do have to wonder what the objective of that game is. Because <laughs> if we're going to roll with Mo Moose is a refugee from the French New Wave, then I guess like the, the you win the game by mournfully admiring a poster of Humphrey Bogart and knowing that you'll never be as cool as he is, or murdering a cop and, what, and, your, and then later making sure that your girlfriend sees when you're gunned down by the cops in retaliation. <laughs> Well, if my experience with 1980s, 1990s board game tie-ins is any uh, is any indication, the instructions were probably incomprehensible, and you would probably play the game once before losing all the cards. Yep. Not to mention, at least one of the pieces would be very sharp. Yes. So uh, Ralph Ripoff convinces them to do this. He has like a the meeting he has is basically in a motel room. <laughs> now you know Bear Country's Bear Country better than I do. I got the feeling from the description from his inscriptions that he was supposed to be holding holding it like bear country's nicest hotel but is this the equivalent of a days in uh, we've never had any experience with this place before uh but it seems like a days in it seems like one step up from from a motel six <laughs> uh I mean, it is it is basically across the street from the cemetery <laughs> And the Which hospital. is a location, a location we've also never experienced in Bear Country. Where Grandpa Bear takes brother to tell him about his dead friends. And his life in, in a gang. With the parent with, with the judge of Bear Country uh, with the judge of Bear Country. Let's see. So Judge Gavel, Judge William Gavel, used to be in the gang as Willie Gavel. Yep. Uh, Amos Toll of Toll's Hardware used to be in the gang, but also a few dead bears. Yeah, who are noted on their tombstones to have been beloved husbands and fathers, but they never stopped smoking, so their fates were sealed. Ben Barrison and uh, Grant Griswood, uh, who, who, who Gramps actually says... They never had they never had cubs. Like, oh my god, we are we led to believe that like the cigarettes rendered them sterile? I think one of them is mentioned as a father, but yeah, one is husband and father, and one is beloved husband. Yeah. Well, also, their their headstones are positioned as such that the bodies must be under the the sidewalk. That's like that 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 means that they were either buried in paupers' graves. <laughs> or whomever handles landscaping for the cemetery is very insensitive. Or, or in bear country, everyone's cremated, and that I, I could see just, it. 
ashes buried there because they're on a sidewalk or a walk a pathway and those uh those headstones are facing them and they're only about a foot away from this pathway i also kind of love how uh, how diverse the design of the, of the headstones in the cemetery is you've yeah. got standard squares you've got a slightly coffin shaped one you have at least one mausoleum and a raised coffin just in the middle of this row of headstones so whomever that yeah. was must have either been very important or just had, must have had a morbid fear of the ground. Right. <laughs> you you have a few a few weeping angels uh, and a few other headstones. Harry Bruin, who I assume is related to Lizzie Bruin's family. Melissa Susan, Ursus, which is... Yeah, Melissa Ursus. We've never had an Ursus before. Maybe the That's lion a, died with her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she, she must have been a smoker. Uh, <laughs> And Susan Grizzly and Bob Bear, which is probably the, who probably died of just general being generic. I sh I'm just going to cease to exist now. Bye, everyone. <laughs> so yeah, so so Gramps fills brother in on his 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 time as a, as a smoker, and how like they all stopped smoking because it was it was unhealthy, except for the except for the guys who died. Yeah, not to mention even before they stopped smoking they were the burnt house gang because they hung out in this perpetually smoldering ruin uh-huh specifically because all the smoke meant that no one noticed they'd been smoking so right. th there was just a building in bear country at one point that had been left to burn more or less undisturbed for at least a few years well i wonder if, it's, I wonder if there's like an underground fire the like, weasel's doing like the uh like the uh the coal the coal mine caught fire a hundred years ago and it's just been smoldering ever since and like the smoked out building is kind of like one of the vents like you're in like what's the city in pennsylvania that has the uh oh the never let me look that up and the never-ending fire while i do that speaking of bear country and pennsylvania um one other connection i had to the bears in childhood um for about five years, from 1995 to 2000, Dorney Park, which I don't know if it's one of the earlier amusement parks in America, it certainly has held a few records at some point for you know biggest roller coaster in the world and some sort of historical significance. But for many years, there was a Bear Country play area. Oh yeah, yeah. Th there was a full-scale replica of the Bears Tree. Mm -hmm. You could um, talk to the bears on specialized phones, which presumably had an actor at the other end. For whatever reason, I really remember the act, the guy playing Papa Bear sounded like granddad, but that can't have been true. That's just my memory playing tricks on Sounded like again. who? My granddad. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and I, I would be really, really surprised if that was the case. Centralia, by the way. Centralia. Oh, Centralia, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, because my granddad had no patience for Dorney Park. Just, oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, for those of you listening, uh, if you want more information about the Berenstain Bear Country in uh, various theme parks around America, you can listen to our uh, Berenstain Bear Country episode with featuring a uh, frequent guest of the show, Mark Sweeney, who worked as a papa bear in bear country wow <laughs> yeah and uh you can also visit the there's like a basic kind of replica of what used to exist at these theme parks uh at the uh, museum of play in rochester uh new york you can they have a bear country set up there yeah i have not been to Dorney in many years but i know that in 2000 they overhauled bear country in the camp snoopy yeah. So the bear tree was left intact, and I don't think they were able to change a whole lot of the architecture, but it became um, Snoopy's clubhouse. Oh, that makes sense. And for a few years there, you could see the remains of the bears here and there, especially these oh, eerie, no. like these eerie outlines <laughs> where they, there used to be standees. Ooh, like there was like a nuclear blast, like <laughs> too close to bear country. Wow. Um, <laughs> Yeah, the, we, yeah, the bear country war with the Russia equivalent Ursus got bad. Right. Well, we had a we had a theme park back home called Hanna Barbera Land, <laughs> which 
which only lived for a couple of years, but it was it was a theme park, like a full-size theme park. It had Scooby-Doo's Ghoster Coaster. It had the Smurfs Waterworks. Like, it had all kinds of Hanna-Barbera characters. And uh, the Papa Smurf's Pizzeria was in the center of it. And when the whole amusement park was torn down and became a water park, uh, Pop the Smurfs Pizzeria, where you used to be able to see live stage shows of the Smurfs, remnants of the Smurfs still existed. So if you went into the sna the snack bar, you could see like, oh, what's that cartoon mushroom doing over there? Or like a Smurf hat peeking behind a bush. Like it was just kind of like eerie leftovers of the old theme park. Yeah, the remnants of capitalism. I've got yep. another story about that, but it would be a little far afield for what we're talking about. Okay. <laughs> so well, speaking, of, speaking of capitalism... Oh uh, goodness! Yeah, uh, yeah. Ralph sells the tobacco company on his scheme with what is essentially a kid-friendly version of the Glenn Gray Glenn Ross always be closing speech. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta. How does he say? Like you've got to. Uh... Wrong, tobacco Beth! Shouted Ralph, opening his presentation to the first page. Three words were printed on it in big block letters. You're not selling cigarettes, he said, pointing to the words one by one. You're selling excitement, adventure sophistication <laughs> and that's all it says on the piece of paper is excitement adventure and sophistication yep and I, it's true i really do love that it seems like the majority of ralph's sales pitch here is to nag the tobacco company execs that's exactly what he's doing he's saying like you guys are old and busted and i've got something hot and new and what it is is project x yes a project Which that he is so insistent say secret that he acts genuinely paranoid even with the people he's trying to sell project x to now this is around the same time that the cubs go to visit dr gert grizzly because oh we haven't mentioned they're trying to get a merit badge yep uh, that's complete that's like a 500th in the level of priorities this book has uh and yet it's but, it's it, and yet it's what the book closes on Exactly. After as, a as stunningly bleak ending. With a stunningly bleak merit badge. Yeah. Um, yeah it, it's a Jolly Roger with the word smoking kills and a very realistic bear skull. Well, speaking of bleak, Dr. Gertz's Horrors of Smoking exhibition. No, of course we're not making that up. The Horrors of Smoking, where you can see blackened lungs on display. Yeah. Uh, because Dr. Gert wants to have a, uh, she's having a health fair, and she wants the Cubs to help her. She knows that the adults will come to the health fair because there's going to be like blood pressure readings and stuff, like what you would see at health fair. She wants the Cubs to get young people to come to the health fair, and so she's kind of basically asking them like, what what a kids what would get kids to come to a health fair? And the Cubs are initially stumped because yeah. Dr. Gertz presentation is all is fire and brimstone from the word go yeah and the cubs themselves the cubs who are so fervently anti-smoking that sister is ready to write off brother until he shows up with grandpa bear right even they're uh, upset by it well what's interesting is so she's like you know like do you think that the horrors of smoking exhibition will work and they're like no like the cubs cubs kind of like stuff that's dangerous and she's like what about bad breath and they're like no only like middle school kids who like kissing care about bad breath and she's like what about lecturing and they're like <laughs> uh and I, I like that they say basically like well that would work on us because we're kind of nerdy goody goodies but <laughs> yep so what they determine will work is telling the cubs that they're they could be rotten eggs yeah no one wants to finish last everyone wants to be first yep so they arrange this impressively elaborate field day over the course of the late book montage it is literally a montage yep uh, i suppose it speaks to their good character that pretty much everyone in bear country comes out to help them except for the people ralph has recruited right uh they get everything donated because that's how it works, I guess. I, I work for a nonprofit. I can tell you, getting things donated to a, to a good cause, even if it is a good cause that everyone agrees with, can be like pulling teeth. Not just that, but, I mean, they more or less strong-arm Squire Grizzly, the richest bear in town, into funding the entire thing. Oh, of course. And it's worth pointing out that they are 
deliberately building what they come to call health arama because things arama in their name always do well that is the reasoning they, for, for their name choice yep um they are deliberately building it to compete with ralph's um like massive, amazing rock concert he, 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 he's got this massive bacchanal going on yes he, <laughs> that's a good word for it but, it is it is a uh the biggest event in bear country history basically yeah he buys out the old abandoned drive-in which is yep. another interesting artifact of the 90s since drive-ins were basically extinct at that point they've since made kind of a small comeback but i live in texas so there's a lot of space for them <laughs> i am from texas and the late 90s was when our last drive-in uh closed yeah i've been to one must have been like an hour outside of austin and Oh. There's one in the city proper, but I haven't a chance to visit that. Um, That's where I saw Hook. Interesting. Yep. <laughs> as interesting as that gets. Um, yeah. We we you know what we totally forgot. The fact that Farmer Ben threatens yeah. someone with a pitchfork. <laughs> oh, by the way, there's also a subplot where Farmer Ben is growing tobacco, and Miss Stickler, who's you may remember from a few books back, is leading a women's protest against Farmer Ben growing tobacco. Uh, and so she's also there as like the voice of protest against tobacco and the, and as like as a as a substance in general. And they make this huge point about the fact that tobacco is a legal crop. That Farmer Ben has like done all of his homework. That he is allowed to grow this crop, but that also freedom of speech is is legal. And as long as they obey like his property rights, they're allowed to protest. Like it's this whole like opening of the book that kind of doesn't go anywhere but as you I'm said i'm sure ben doesn't appear again after that scene well he I, i'm sure he wouldn't after he threatens a person with a pitchfork and not just with a pitchfork he threatens to impale miss stickler <laughs> yes and she... at that point the sheriff shows up and basically very gently says okay no one's gonna trespass and no one is getting impaled with a pitchfork yeah chief bruno's basically like you're both idiots clear <laughs> off yeah, and, you know, Miss Stickler, it's exciting to have, you know, an explicitly activist character show up. Yeah. She is an awful activist. Yeah, so they, they have this person who is your dedicated activist in bear country. And, of course, they they she's your stereotypical shrill activist. And she also constantly looks evil in the illustrations. Yeah, well, they, all, they set her up a few books ago as basically the bear everyone hates <laughs> wow like she's more disliked than ralph ripoff just because every every bear and bear country had her in school and they all hated her so she's she's apparently like 90 years old which means she's impressively tech savvy for someone her age oh yeah she's great yeah because as we'll see at the, at the climax of this she's an experienced <laughs> yeah. cyber criminal and also somehow well does things with computers that are physically impossible. Yeah, I don't think you can hack a machine, at least not in the sense that she does at the climax of this. Right, so that brings us to what is Project X? The eighth wonder of the world. A yes. gigantic billboard featuring what I think is probably supposed to be like a, um, a sculpture rendering of Mo Moose that is yeah. constantly blowing smoke rings from his giant cigarette. Yes, he's got he, a hole in his mouth, and actual smoke rings pour out. Yep. And, um, I gotta say, for a series that had a portal to an alternate dimension a few books back, <laughs> I, I really got a question calling a giant billboard the eighth wonder of the world. It's not like you had people worshipping at the ground of the How Come Chief Willoughby sign in three billboards outside Ending Missouri. That would have been a very <laughs> right. different film. <laughs> well... Also, it's a big claim coming from a town that has an actual missing link monster living up in the hills. <laughs> yeah, and a local scientist who, who invented a, a robot. Right, a, a living robot. That died. Well, this is, a, this is a giant billboard that blows smoke rings, and, well, everyone, everyone loves it, actually. Yeah, you know, even Sister is genuinely impressed by this. And it's, it is the centerpiece of Ralph's giant rock concert, which he, at the very abrupt climax of the Sinister Smoke Ring, Healthorama begins, all is going well, 
the Bears think, hey, maybe we've won. Maybe Ralph is just going to get up and go home. Right. And then the marching starts. Yep. And they hear the band. <laughs> and this procession to rival the funeral of an Egyptian pharaoh comes down the street, led by Mo Moose himself, which... Uh, a 30-foot-tall Mo Moose. On stilts. Yes, now, so the Bread and Puppet Theater shows up. Yeah, I, I gotta Phil, you know the bears, the bear country a lot better than I do. There are sapient bears and sapient weasels. Have we met any moose characters before? We have met not a single moose. So this is either the first of his kind who has no <laughs> lines, one scene, and seems really, really okay with parading around on stilts and smoking this gigantic cigarette. Um... Or it's someone in a really elaborate costume. I'm going to assume it's someone in a really elaborate costume. But again, you don't ever see this thing again. No. Like it just, it's this giant Mo Moose smoking a, smoking a, 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 how do I, a javelin-sized cigarette. Yeah, you could kill someone with this thing. And not in the yeah. way that you would normally kill someone with a cigarette. And then you have Ralph leading a marching band. You have Too Tall and his gang on a... On a float shaped like they're giant clubhouse which is built out of of car wrecks and apparently they're constantly expanding and then hundreds of cubs following them to this concert this is some genuine pied piper stuff right here oh and and if you're wondering at home yes we are only about 10 pages away from the end of the book yeah in fact i think they actually cite the pied piper and with another incredible incredible line um it's the Pied Piper all over again. Only this time he's leading cubs to the death and disease caused by smoking. <laughs> As opposed to the death that the Pied Piper actually led the kids to. Where he drowned the Pied Piper them? Story. Or he sealed them in a cave. Yeah, and I'm, I know that there was a fairly acclaimed comic that came out either this year or last year where the Piper is a much more benevolent figure who ends up dying in a church fire. That is not the case. Well, I don't know what happens to Momu, so... <laughs> Yeah, as you mentioned, after everything goes down, we have no idea what happens to the Momu's promotion. Right, because it's owned by a major cigarette company. And they get and moreover, we don't see the board again. They're not shamed or brought nope. or arrested or held liable for this calamitous event. Um right. which ends with several children hospitalized and massive property destruction. Because- this is our big showdown. This is this is what proves to kids they shouldn't smoke. Yep. Earlier in the book, brother decides to risk quite explicitly getting the life beaten out of him by Too Tall and the gang by approaching them after having more or less ditched the gang and challenging them to a game of basketball. Yep. For some reason, Tutal plays with him on his team, even though he really wants Brother Beaten Senseless. Uh-huh. It's like the only sign of decency we see from him in this book. Right. He's he's certainly smarter than the other members of his gang. In this book, he's way scarier, just in his, like, in how mild he becomes in places. Yeah, he's... And, and the, like, the Tutal gang, you know beats up other cubs, steals their watches, and steals their clothing. Yeah. Um, Hangs their pants in the tree. Yep. A brother essentially outlasts them on the basketball court, mocks them for it, and more or less goes too tall into into what the book calls a duel to be determined at a later date. Yes. So. Well, he's calling him on the duel. Oh, yeah. Just as it looks like Ralph has successfully upstaged Heltharama with his psychedelic wonderland of horrors, um, Brother gets a megaphone and calls Tutal out, challenging him and his gang to a relay race. Mm-hmm. And Tutal, despite presumably receiving thousands of dollars for his appearance right. here, <laughs> because the Tutal gang necessarily cuts a record, and we're told that it's played constantly in the 90s when radio airtime and cds would have been 
a much, much, much bigger market than they are now. So yeah. uh, he is potentially violating several contracts and opening himself <laughs> to considerable legal jeopardy. But that doesn't matter, because Brother challenged him to a relay, and when $2 is challenged, he takes that challenge, my, go my gosh. And everyone's excited about this relay. The whole book has kind of been building to it, and then it's over in less than a paragraph. Yeah, um... Yeah, the two-hole gang gets stomped. Yeah. And not just stomped, we are told they are wheezing, out of breath, collapsed, and are being attended to by emergency by, by EMTs. Yes. <laughs> all for one and one for all. <laughs> yeah, the Cubs celebrate putting their rivals in the hospital. And everyone throws their, their Mo Moose hats in the air and replaces them with anti-smoking hats, as it says, literally referring to them as anti-smoking hats. Well, they do have the words smoking kills on them, which brings us to the other part of the climax, the truly astonishing part, where Miss Stickler somehow hacks a mechanical device causing the Momo's billboard to spell out smoking kills instead of blowing smoke rings, and Ralph tries to stop it, the thing blows up in his face. Now... The billboard blows smoke rings. It does not blow the letter O. Like, it's not... They didn't design a billboard that is capable of blowing the entire alphabet, and then they're like, let's just have it blow O. There's a, there, there has to be a mechanical device inside that is specifically designed to only blow smoke rings. Yeah. Like, that's a, that's a thing. Like, that's a, a thing you design a machine to do. Pr Hacking into it with a computer... Not possible. Won't change the mechanism it'll you can you can probably turn it off yeah i mean it implies that this billboard is housing what would be for 1997 some incredibly advanced computer computer tech for even you know a major conglomerate to put in a billboard that doesn't work that even if you had designed a billboard to spell out a phrase one letter at a time, it wouldn't work. Because the whole point of billboards is that you're supposed to be able to see them as you're driving past. You'd have to actually stop your car, pull over, and watch it spell something out. Again, how come, Ralph Ripoff? But yeah, and it ends up blowing smoke all over Ralph. And our villains humiliated, our heroes celebrate by remarking on the fact that if the two-doll gang stops smoking, they're going to come for vengeance. Yep. <laughs> yeah, um, I've actually got to read this because um, my first note on this book is, I quote, NIHILISTIC AS ALL GET OUT IN ALL CAPS. Do you think Tuta and his gang will stop smoking? Asked Lizzie. They might, said Brother. But according to Dr. Gert, it's hard to stop once you start. But, said Fred, she also says that if you stop soon enough, your lungs will come back pretty strong. If Tuta and his gang stop... They'll be able to run us into the ground, said sister. That's life, said brother. And that's the end of the story. There's a brief epilogue where we learn that the Cubs earned their public health badge and they have supplemented it with a giant um, unofficial smoking kills badge. This thing is... Yeah, it's like twice the size of all their other badges. Yeah. Um, I also say that, speaking of nihilistic, if you read the line... Uh, if you're holding the actual physical copy of the book and you read, Too Tall and His Gang Stop, they'll be able to run us into the ground, said sister. That's life, said brother. When you turn the page, the first thing that hits you is that skull. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, right. We are all going to die, brother. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, that brings us to the end. And I got to say, I enjoyed reading this for the deeply weird directions it goes off in. You know, the uh -huh. fact that the attempted pitchfork murder is kind of dropped. The fact that if you use fancy stationery, a brief mean letter will have a major multinational conglomerate eating out of your hand. Um, but everyone is awful to each other in this. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the, the scouts are mean to each other. The doctor is a borderline sadist. Miss Stickler is a cyber criminal. Too tall belongs in. Too tall has threatened to beat people. Ralph Ripoff belongs in prison. The multinational corporation gets off scot free. Apparently, it, Farmer it, Ben it, tries to run someone through with a pitchfork. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's just it, it is almost funky. Winker being level, bleak, and horrible. <laughs> 
I think that's a testament to what smoking can do to a community. Fair point. We've never known Ben to grow tobacco before, so obviously this is a new presence in the neighborhood. And I, I think it's I think the idea is that just the mere presence of tobacco, the idea of smoking is enough to tear a community apart. Civilization is but a thin veneer for our inherent animal natures. Yep, and there's nothing more animal than a bear with a cigarette. A bear with a cigarette branching a pitchfork. Yeah. <laughs> I also kind of love that the cubs like really take that in stride. Um, yeah. They like, get oh, roped. The pitchfork thing? Yeah, yeah, they get roped into this when they you know, see Ben brandishing this thing. They're like, oh, hey, let's go check that out. Oh, no, no, no. This is not the first time Ben's done that. <laughs> Wait, he's trying to impale more than one person. Oh, yeah. He's chased people with pitchforks. <laughs> ben has. Ben and Gramps and Gramps are the two bears in bear country with tempers, like explosive tempers, <laughs> and who will turn to violence on a just a hairpin trigger. They'll just. You flip that switch, man. Ben grabs his pitchfork and he comes after you. He's ended up in legal trouble because of it before. I mean, I was, uh, half, I was seriously half expecting him to when he puts on the pitchfork very reluctantly at chief bruno's urging i have expected him to pull a rifle you know just like this works on the rabbits can work on you we know there's guns in bear country they brought them out for uh for big paw so (laughs) (laughs) it wouldn't be the first time they brandished uh, brandished lethal weapons at each other (laughs) and didn't tuto also get in trouble for bringing a gun to school once oh we haven't gotten to the gun free zone yet oh no Oh, we'll get there. We'll get to the book about guns. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I think the first thing I said to you when you agreed to let me guess on this show was Too Tall Grizzly is going to become a crime lord. Yep. <laughs> like, it, it's going to, uh, you know, uh, there is a universe where this is taken over by Don Winslow and Too Tall meets his end going to war with, like, the Medellin cartel. <laughs> well, his father does own a business that is a uh, he owns the, uh, the 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 auto graveyard. <laughs> so you have basic setup there for a for some kind of a crime story. Yeah, yeah. Once once that auto graveyard falls to too tall, who knows what's going to end up buried there? <laughs> well, several bodies probably it, it's probably going to turn into a chop shop, <laughs> and there will be smuggling. There will be smuggling. Well, Justin, this has been the Berenstain Bear Scouts and the Sinister Smokering. Uh, what do you give it on a scale of this is great or this is bad? Well, you accept it's certainly something as an answer. Yep. It's an <laughs> I experience. I totally understand. Uh, it, it's an experience. I would really to go back and take a look at some of those big chapter books because, yeah. one, I want to see exactly how it comes to pass that Too Tall Grizzly, not too, I keep confusing Too Tall and Ralph, how Ralph Ripoff very nearly ends up murdered in a book aimed at very young children. <laughs> and also, I believe that was, I believe that was in the uh, Freaky Fun House. And also because I, I just don't remember the characters being this nasty to each other. It, it, it's, it, it is... I, I actually kind of get why my mom disliked the disliked the <laughs> book so much if the if this casual meanness is a recurrent thing. Well, I can I can get, I can tell you right off the bat that the Berenstain Bears Scouts books are the weirder, stranger books in the series, where the characters are kind of inconsistent from book to book. And as Mike said in a letter to me just last week. Uh, when that happens, he's like, "That is his. That is Stan Berenstain writing. That is Stan Berenstain." throwing out as many ideas as he could because Stan had just tons of ideas for stories and he didn't care about character consistency. He didn't care about continuity. He just wanted to create the most outrageous stories he could. And he certainly succeeded uh, here. And I, I reading this book and knowing that I'm like, yeah, this is, this is like, I think peak outrageous as far as the bear scouts go. Um, the big chapter books, which are more about the kids just being kids. Yeah. Uh, they get, they get nutty, but, uh, See, it's the bear scouts. yep. It's the bear scouts books that are more Saturday morning cartoony, uh, with like weird adventures. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this book. Unfortunately, it's not available digitally. If you want to get your hands on a copy of it, you have to buy it used. Um, there's quite a few out there. Yeah, I was able to so, get mine in, no, this 
for a book printed in 1997, this is in very good condition. I got yeah. it for about $6 on Amazon. Um, yeah, my, my copy is fine. I got it for a few bucks. Uh, I wonder if there's more of these out there because they were sort of distributed, maybe distributed to schools. Uh, I'm sure this copy was probably available through like scholastic book clubs. I would have to imagine um, there was, um, th these were, a few of these sat in elementary school health offices for kids. Oh yeah. Home. Oh yeah, definitely. Much like definitely. my favorite anti-smoking PSA, Spider-Man power man and storm battle smokescreen where yeah. three superheroes all, all of whom have a legitimate claim to being major tier powers in the marvel universe go up against a man whose evil plan is to quarter the new york gambling scene by rigging a high school track meet <laughs> well that's berenstain bears level of nefarious Yes, and his power seems to be to constantly secrete cigarette smoke. Which, how would he even stand out in New York? <laughs> Let alone New York in the... in the. See, here's the thing about the comic. It was published twice. Once in either the 70s or the very early 80s. It doesn't have a publication date. It doesn't have credited writers or artists. Yeah. Um, and then it was reprinted again in the 90s with the same text but different art. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Even in the 1990s... The ability to constantly secrete cigarette smoke would not have made him particularly dangerous to anyone in New York City. No, certainly not. It certainly wouldn't make him stand out to, you know, the Avengers. I, 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 got, and I, I got to think that, like, the kingpin left him alive just because his plan is so hilariously dumb. Right. He's not a threat. No, he really isn't. <laughs> but because it's a terrible comic, he somehow manages to disable Storm, the most powerful character in the comic, by bonking her on the head. So, Justin, you write for Birth Movies Death. I do. I've been writing for them for a little over two years now. My last piece was part of an ongoing series we have called Say Something Nice, where writers pay homage to a thing they liked in a movie they otherwise did not. In my case, oh, nice. I talked about Joseph Gordon-Levitt's last scene in the largely abominable Sin City A Dame to Kill For, where for one brief shining moment because of gordon levitt and, pa and the late powers booth the movie feels like something that frank miller in the late 80s and early 90s when he was frank miller and miller revolutionary comics creator as opposed to frank miller's xenophobic jerk like he uh -huh. wrote it down wrote in a bottle and launched that bottle into the future where it landed on robert rodriguez's porch yeah um and it all and it's an impeccably acted scene that has the advantage of being one of the very few scenes in this movie where the majority of the stuff on screen is actually real. Like, oh. the rest of this is aggressively green screened. Yeah. But the table is real. The people are real. The playing cards, which are these gorgeous color inverted cards, are real. And in fact, doing research for the piece kicked off what has become a genuine fascination of playing cards on my part. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. You could become a regular Ralph Ripoff. Uh, I, I wouldn't have very much success negging multinational conglomerates and doing my bidding. <laughs> well, if people want to, if people want to find your writing, they can find you at Birth Movies Death. Yes, and about a week from the day this goes up, I will be writing in the Houston Austin BPMS One Fifty. It's a tell us a little bit about that. It's a two-day bike ride designed to raise money to treat and cure multiple sclerosis. One of my mm -hmm. favorite people in the world lives, lives with MS as her normal. I'm, and as someone who, one, cares about his friend, and two, is chronically ill himself, I'm diabetic. Um, yeah, it's a chance to put some money towards a good cause and create a world that is for lack of a better term, more well. Um, and if any of our listeners are uh, interested in uh, contributing to this, where would they find it? I'll send you a link for the show page. Um, the actual link itself is a lengthy combination of numbers and letters that I can't memorize. Oh. <laughs> but So we will put. I'll put a link in the show notes to that. Yeah, but if you search um, BPMS150 Justin Harrison Alamo Drafthouse, um, that's my team, I sh you should be able to find me. In the event that the, wonderful in the, in the event that the, the link does not work awesome 
Well, Justin, thank you so much for joining me this week. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. It really was, and I'm glad that you were capable of taking in the immensity that was the Berenstain Bear Scouts and the Sinister Smoke Ring. A book that is longer than the novella You Were Never Really Here is based on. <laughs> and for everyone else out there, uh, you can find me at BerenstainBearCast.wordpress.com. You can uh, write me at BerenstainBearCast at gmail.com. Uh, I am on Twitter at BStainBearCast. Check out my other podcasts. Uh, it's Del Toro Time, a Guillermo Del Toro podcast I do with my teenager, Ollie, where we discuss the movies and influences of Guillermo Del Toro. And Click It Cast, a Beverly Cleary podcast that I do with John McCoy, where we discuss the writings of Beverly Cleary. I'm always picking something apart at some point online uh that i probably should be spending more time doing important things but that is what i do podcasts uh if you want to get a copy of the berenstain bear scouts of the sinister smoke ring you're gonna have to order it used but it is out there uh and uh, that's it once again thanks for being on the show justin my pleasure and for everyone else we will see you all next time deep in bear country <laughs>